Okay, this is exciting with our headphones. Hopefully you can hear me okay. Thank you so much for coming this morning. I know there's a whole array of other seminars that you could have been to, so we really appreciate you coming here and listening to us um, and engaging on this issue. As you can see, we're not really selling ourselves um, as a rubbish seminar, but hopefully um, you will uh, see our tongue-in-cheek expression. I just want to start by asking you a question. Who threw something in the bin today? Raise your hand. Most of you, I'm hoping if you didn't throw it in the bin that you didn't throw it on the floor, because that might be even worse. Um, We know that there is waste and rubbish all around us. There is plastic all around us. It's in the media. It's in our shopping trolleys. It's in our recycling bins. I just want you to have take a minute just to think about your morning so far. What have you used that's had plastic in it? It could have been a coffee cup. This morning, as you headed into the main session a bit weary and you wanted your caffeine fix, it could be a bottle of water when you've been a bit hot. It might have been your toothbrush. I'm hoping that most of you also brushed your teeth today, um, and you probably did that with a plastic toothbrush. You see, plastic is all around us. In fact, I would go so far as to say, as a world, as a society, that we're practically addicted to plastic. But in the UK, we throw away enough plastic to fill up two double-decker bus loads every 30 seconds. So that's enough plastic to fill up two huge double-decker buses every 30 seconds across the UK. Our consumption of plastic is huge. And actually, only 10% of plastic is recycled. And then if we think about then the other 90%, that usually ends up in landfill or in our environment. Some of us might be really diligent we might recycle loads of plastic. You might be quite proud that your black bin is a little bit more empty and your recycling bin is full. I know that it's not a problem um, about my black bin getting emptied now because I do food waste in the green bin. You might all have different colours. And recycling in the blue bin. But as I walked past my bins this morning, I thought, note, I need to take my blue bin out tomorrow because it is overflowing. And so our recycling bins are the ones that are often now overflowing. But so I could feel really proud of myself and happy about that. I'm contributing to the economy. After all, recycling creates lots of jobs. Um, But unfortunately, when plastic gets recycled, it doesn't get recycled into the same thing. Plastic can only be downgraded. So if you take a plastic bottle, it may end up as a plastic bag or it may end up as a plastic pipe. If you take um, something like a plastic tub, it may only be able to be shredded up, packaged up, and then used into some kind of other multicolored, odd strain of plastic that is used in some kind of manufacturing industry. Plastic is not infinitely recyclable. So um, the name of the seminar is why recycling is not enough. Um, And I want you to just take away today to think that if we think it's great that we recycle our plastic, it actually just goes down and down. So we talk about um, often organisations that are claiming that it's great to use plastic because it's recyclable and it's 
what's called a closed loop. It's a loop that goes round and round and round. You create it, you use it, you recycle it, you create it, you reuse it, you recycle it. But the problem is it isn't quite a simple loop because it slowly gets worse and worse and worse in quality. And also, things like um, glass bottles or aluminium cans can be infinitely recycled. But plastic is not so simple. In fact, the old adage, reduce, reuse and recycle, some of you may remember that. The reason um, reduce is the first one is because it's the most important. And recycle is the last. We should reduce how much we use, how much plastic we use, all that stuff that we might have used this morning. Think about reducing that. And then we reuse it. So is it even a good enough quality for us to be able to reuse it again? And then the very last option should be recycle. And so although I feel very proud of myself that my recycling bin's very full and my black bin's empty, actually it's not quite as good as it could be. So we've seen the impact of plastic on our oceans. Yesterday I was in the exhibition space and I was in, on the turf and sand and everybody I asked, I said, you've seen the impact of plastic on the oceans. And everybody went, oh, yes, yes. Many people said, oh, the turtles, the turtles and the fish. And it's quite an easy concept to understand. In fact, me and my son, we play the plastic game. We played it on Sunday. I try and play it every day with him, but Sundays are a good day because I make him take his water bottle to church with him. And um, I keep reminding him, I say, well, what's the plastic game? The plastic game is to stop, is to try and not use any plastic all day and not put anything in the bin. And so he tells me the plastic bin. I say, why are we playing the plastic game? And he says, because of the fish, mummy, because of the fish, because the fish will die if they eat the plastic. It's really easy to explain, it's really easy to understand. But what I want to talk to you today is not about the oceans. That the reality is that our addiction to plastic is having a devastating impact on people living in poverty. Tearfund works in 50 countries around the world. We work with people who are living on the, in the most extreme situations. We follow Jesus where the need is the greatest. And two billion of people around the world in the poorest countries are living and working amongst piles of waste because they don't have a rubbish collection like us. There are four one in four people in the world don't have a waste collection. I just want you to take a moment to think about that now. Close your eyes. You'll still be able to hear me with your headphones. Just imagine the smell of rubbish slowly decaying out in the open on your street, just outside your house where the bins are. Imagine the crunching underfoot as you begin to tread on rubbish as it slowly accumulates on your path. Imagine the health problems, the rats, the flies. And when it rains, which it inevitably does in Northern Ireland, and when the wind blows, it gets strewn everywhere. It gets stuck in the trees. It gets stuck in the hedges in your garden. It gathers in the gutters and it causes the roads to flood. Okay, you can open your eyes. Sometimes we can't quite imagine what that might be like in our own homes. We often think about waste collection being a, a privilege. Oh, it's 
but it feels a bit more like a right. So we had um, the, one of our local recycling officers come to our office recently to encourage us to think about our recycling. And he told us that when the bin collectors moved from, down from um, weekly bin collections to bi-weekly ones, so to every two weeks, some residents contacted their office and threatened them with violence because they so strongly felt about their right to have their rubbish collected. But this uncollected rubbish all around the world, for those one in four people who have no access to it, is causing one person to die from a waste-related disease every 30 seconds. So by the end of that, this seminar, by the end of this sem- seminar, 100 that's the equivalent of 120 people who would have lost their lives because of waste-related diseases. And that's because as the rubbish accumulates, as you live amongst piles of rubbish, you have no choice but to collect it up in piles and burn it, which produces toxic smoke. Or it ends up in the waterways, and so it's thrown into the rivers, which then means that um, it pollutes water. And so it causes people problems with being able to drink their water and keep healthy. And then finally, it also creates flooding, which means people lose their homes. They get sick with malaria and fever because of all the rubbish that is collected. We're going to watch a video just now. It's just one minute long, which just outlines the situation a little bit more. Okay. Well, if you want to watch the video, you know what you can do. You can come to the Tearfun stand in the exhibition space and we can play it to you there. So um, I want to give you a name to this, these people, these people who are suffering from waste. I want to tell you about Rubina. So Rubina lives in Pakistan. She, um, she has a young family. Um, she works three jobs in three different households to be able to provide for her family. She's one of um, the many people living in Pakistan who lives in extreme poverty. This is Rabina on the screen with her three children. She lives in a slum in Pakistan and she works hard for her family. But no matter what she does, her family have to live amongst piles of waste. Rabina's eldest son, Javid, has... um, severe disabilities and she finds that when they burn the burn the rubbish and create the smoke that he really struggles with breathing problems but because Rubina um, doesn't have a lot of money that means she can rarely take him to hospital where he needs oxygen to be able to help him breathe so when she hasn't got that money available all she can do is she can boil water and try and get the steam to help alleviate his breathing one day when Rabina was coming home from work, she found her son, Tariq, who's the, the cheeky one um, on the right-hand side. He was outside their house crying because half of his face had been burnt because he'd been playing in the rubbish all day and there'd been a toxic substance that had caused his skin to burn. Thankfully, Tariq um, recovered from his injuries. Tariq is four years old. He's the same age as my son, Seth. I cannot imagine what it must be like for a mother to not be able to have a safe space for her children to play. For her to work hard all day long to provide for them 
and still not be able to protect them. I have a very, very slight glimpse of that when one day recently me and my son were playing at the beach. He was digging in the sand and making sandcastles. Um, and I'd recently watched um, a program about how wet wipes were made from plastic. And I looked around and there were these kind of lumps in the sand. And very quickly I realised they were brown, dirty bits of wet wipe that had washed up on the shores of the beach in Northern Ireland. Now, for Seth, it wasn't really going to cause him a major harm. I was able to kind of go, let's go to a different bit of sand. But imagine if those were toxic waste. If that was stuff like burning smoke that's going to cause your children breathing problems. For many people like Rabina around the world, they worry for the long-term health of their families and they try and do their best to be able to provide for them. But yet they still are surrounded by waste. I've heard stories from Brazil to Nigeria about growing piles of waste. And as I've spoken to many of you when I was at the stand yesterday, many of you relayed stories of India, of Myanmar, of Honduras, where there are piles and piles of waste accumulating. This is a fast-growing problem. Quite literally, piles of rubbish are growing around the world. And global plastic production is set to double in the next 15 to 20 years. So those who are living in extreme poverty are going to be hit the hardest. We can't recycle our way out of this problem. There are huge companies like Coca-Cola, Nestle, PepsiCo and Unilever who are all making things worse for communities like Rubina's by selling billions of items wrapped in single-use plastic packaging knowing that it will only get used once before it's thrown away and there is no way for these people to be able to dispose of this waste. They do this knowing that poorer communities have no safe way to deal with it. This is a rubbish situation which is why this is a rubbish seminar. For people like Rubina and people in Brazil and people in Nigeria and Honduras and Myanmar and India. And we have to also consider our consumption. A lot of our plastic that doesn't get recycled does get sent to different countries where they have to deal with it or it gets downgraded into um, other items that, are not, that don't have the same value. But it doesn't have to be this way. We can do something about this. As Christians, we can understand more about this problem of waste, the injustice of what is happening to those people who are living in extreme poverty and our consumption and our reflections on what it means for things to be created to then be thrown away. So Paul is going to come and share a little bit some of his reflections on thinking about this issue. Thank you, Ruth. Um, I have the pleasure of being involved with Ruth in an advisory group locally for Tear Fund, uh, and we're really delighted at the work she's doing. Norman? Can everyone still hear okay through these? If your battery goes, just put your hand up and they'll bring you a new set, okay? So, um, or maybe you'll be quite glad not to have to listen to me. Anyway, get, get a new set when Ruth's coming back up. Um, no, I, I, if you're like me, uh, New Horizon is a gospel event, 
and I want to be a gospel person. I think Gilbert in the mornings has been challenging us in that partnership in the gospel. And I think sometimes then for, for Christians who care about that, for evangelicals, we tend to think of the gospel as a particular set of truths and of beliefs. And maybe we think this kind of thing, well, it's, it's terribly sad, it's awful, but it's not a gospel issue. And that's my question, I suppose, is waste a gospel issue? And I think it is. I've come to believe that. And I think we should believe that. So let me try and explain that. Whenever I think about the gospel or try to help people understand it or explain it to others, I use the, the fingers or the digits on my hand, if you want to call this one a thumb, that's fine. So, I mean, feel free to put your hand up if you like, no matter what your churchmanship, this is not a, not, nothing to do with spirituality or whatever. It's simply a handy way to think about the gospel. And it goes like this. It's the story of God's salvation. God created us. God rules. He is sovereign over his creation. The good, glorious, holy God is sovereign. We rebelled. God rules. We rebelled. We have sinned and we are alienated from God as a result of that. But God rescues. You see the the pattern? Okay, so we rebelled. God rules. We rebelled. God rescues through Jesus, who fulfilled all of God's promises and all of the hopes of the Old Testament, who died for our sins and who rose again from the dead. We need to respond. We respond to this good news message in repentance and in faith. And when we respond or as we respond, God works in us by his spirit to give us new life, to transform us and to prepare us and is preparing a new creation where we will live eternally with him. Now, hopefully that sounds familiar. Yeah? God rules. We rebelled. God rescues. We respond. God restores. This is the gospel. I think it should be something we can all agree with. Now, of course, it's much bigger than that. We could say so much on each of those points. But what has any of that got to do with this issue of waste. Well, let me walk through those points again and try to understand that. God rules. God created. And if I ask you the question, in Scripture, what in Scripture is ever described as being very good? It's a quiz, okay, but I can't hear your answers, so <laughs> I have to come over there. You've got your headphones on. Well, there are three things. There's probably one that some of you might be thinking of, but I'll do them in reverse order. In Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah has a vision, and in that vision he sees some figs, and he says, these are very good figs. Now, I don't know about you, I'm not a fig lover. I was in Croatia recently, and I was surrounded by figs, and I ate none of them. But Jeremiah was a fig fiend, so he loved his figs. He said they're very good. In Judges, there's a group of Israelites who see a bit of land that they haven't conquered yet, and they say this land is very good for farming and so on. We want to conquer it. They're a dodgy bunch, mind you. They don't quite do it right the way God intended, but they said the land was good. And, of course, the famous one back in Genesis 1, when God has created everything, what what does it say? It says God saw everything he had created, and it was very good. Now, I don't think it's an accident that all three of those that are very good are natural things. They are things that are part of the natural created order because God, who is the creator, is a good God. And what he creates is very good. 
And what I'm really saying in that is that if God looks at creation and takes pleasure in it, then so ought we too. It's not just at creation that God sees that and thinks that it is very good. It is a good world that we live in. And as Christians, I think I understand why sometimes we're, we can even be put off by the documentaries and so on about these things because they're usually prefaced with evolution and if it's David Attenborough or whatever, and we might agree with him that plastic's not good, but, but, but he's an evolution believer and, and we've got a concern and, uh, and you know, it doesn't seem to... But, but, but should we not be even more concerned? As Christians... We're not concerned about our environment first and foremost because we might be in trouble if it goes wrong, although we might, or because we look at the nice furry animals and get all fuzzy and sentimental about it and think, I don't want them to die out. We ought to be concerned in the same way that if you bumped into somebody else's car and put a nasty dent on it, hopefully you would feel bad because it's somebody else's property. Yeah? And this world is God's property and we as Christians should take the environment even more seriously because it belongs to somebody else. It's not ours to do with as we will, but it is his. And the question then is if we want to be gospel people and if part of the gospel is saying that God created, why would anybody believe that we believe in creation if we treat this world as if it was ours to do with as we like or immaterial or unimportant. If you want people to know you believe in creation, you better start caring about creation, or I better. It's not just you, I'm deeply challenged about this. But secondly, we rebelled, sin. And we know that the heart of sin is rejection of God. It's rebellion against him. So how does waste uh, and the environment come into to sin? Well, I think we've got to be careful here. Sometimes we might kind of think, well, the problem is technology. It was all well and good in the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. It was very simple and they just plucked the fruit and ate it. And if we had stayed that way and we hadn't, you know, advanced and developed technology, things would be a whole lot better. Let's just be absolutely simple about everything. But we have to be thankful for an awful lot of the advances in technology in our world. They are good gifts of God. There's no reason to think that Adam in the garden would just have sat forever plucking fruit off the trees. God planted a garden on one part of the earth and he told Adam and Eve to go and extend the garden to the rest of the world to bring order. And that's a journey of discovery and development and finding the good things in God's good creation and putting them to good use. The problem with sin is not with our skill and our technology, but with our misuse of that technology. And so something like plastics, there are aspects of plastics we can be thankful for. Plastics are made by and large from oil. God has put oil there as part of how the world is, and we are able to use it in good ways. As, as a medic by background, somebody who needs dialysis. It would be hard to have a dialysis machine without plastic parts in that, and plastics allow wonderful things. So we're not kind of trying to say, let's scrub out all of that history of development, but we know that we've got things wrong. Sin has affected how we use these things. We use them in wrong ways. One writer says, there is an unholy trinity that leads to environmental destruction. He says, it is indifference, laziness, and, uh, and, and convenience, sorry, quote him correctly, born of abundance. It is indifference, 
We don't really care. It's laziness. We can't be bothered. And it's convenience born of abundance. We've got so much, it's just convenient to use it whatever way. Now, that does that not sound sinful to you? I would go even further and say that at the root of those are the root sins that are at the root of all sin. There is, well, there is greed. We want more for ourselves. There is selfishness. It's for ourselves first, and maybe we'll share if we've enough to share and think about somebody else. And it's pride that we justify it. I'm too busy. I'm, you know, it's not a priority. Even saying, well, the gospel is the priority. I'm going to share it so I don't need to think about this is pride, isn't it? If this is part of what God wants us to think about, we're blind to the impact on others. And of course, we live in a world where this is all fed by consumerism and materialism and wanting more and wanting convenience and marketing that sells it to us. And I know sometimes we're just ignorant of that. But there's not really an excuse for ignorance either, is there? Because that ignorance in itself is part of the problem of sin. So why would anybody out there believe that we believe in sin? If we're gospel people, we believe in creation. Why would they believe we believe in that if we don't care about it? Why would they believe that we believe in sin if we have a blind spot to major areas of life where we don't see the sins we're committing? And Ruth has brilliantly shown us that this is not just about animals and in the ocean or creatures in the ocean. This is also about people who are dying because of our lifestyle. That is sin. And when we become aware of that, we need to call it what it is. Thirdly, God rescues. God rules in creation. We rebelled. We are sinners. I should say, by the way, that though means we rebelled. We're all part of this sin. And that means we ought to care about people. And why would anybody think that you care about people if you don't care about the impact of your life on them? How can you share the gospel if you don't really care about people? But thirdly, God rescues. Christ died for our sins. So let me ask, did Christ die for your behavior and my behavior as regards waste and the environment? Well, if it's sinful, then yes, he did. And I'm not saying what some theologians say. I'm not in that camp that says Christ died for all of creation. Scripture says he died for the sins of people. But it also says that through his death, all of creation is being reconciled to God. Our sin has had an effect on the whole of creation and Christ died to put that right by bringing us to God. So if Christ died for my sinful behaviors as regards the stuff that I use, then that's a sin issue and I need to take it seriously, don't I? But why would anybody believe that I believe in Christ if Christ is not Lord over how I use stuff and dispose of stuff? Do you get it? It's part of the lordship of Christ, isn't it? Christ doesn't want to be lord just over some parts of my life, but over it all. So what does the lordship of Christ look like in this area of waste? Fourthly, though, we respond. We need to repent and believe the gospel. Does that have anything to do with this issue? Well, repentance means I take responsibility for my sin. Yeah? And, and, and I know, and I feel it too, that in this issue, sometimes I feel powerless. I don't know about you. It's like, well, I'm only one little person, one bin. Uh, this is just too big. You know, these huge piles of rubbish, this global issue, because I don't think we can cope well with that global view sometimes. 
It's too big. But my fear in that is that when I start to think like that and when it leads me then to say, well, because it's too big, I can't do anything, it just sounds a little bit to me like we're going back to Eden again, isn't it? It's like Eve says, or Adam says, it wasn't me, it was her. And Eve says, it wasn't me, it was the serpent. Sin is personal and we need to take responsibility for it. And we need to say, well, actually, yes, I am responsible for the choices I make. No buck passing, I will take responsibility. And there is repentance to be done around this. Once we become aware, not trying to do a guilt trip for how we have lived in the past when we were unaware, but once we become aware, then there's repentance to be done. But why would anyone believe that I believe in repentance if there are sins that I close my ears to and issues that I just don't hear, you see? Why would anyone believe I believe in creation if I don't care for it? Why would anyone believe I believe in people or in sin if I don't care about these people? Why would anyone believe I believe in Christ if he's not Lord over this? Why would anyone believe that I believe in repentance and faith if I close my ears to these issues? But lastly, God restores. The gospel is not primarily about us and what we do. It doesn't end there. Sometimes when we tell it, it sounds like it does. You repent and you believe and you're going to heaven. But it's about a restoration of my life. It's about faithful living now and an eternal hope. And I want to make two things clear. I don't believe that creation care, caring for creation, should distract us from evangelism. I know people are afraid of that. We put so much effort into this so we don't evangelize and share the gospel with people. But hopefully from what I'm saying, you understand that people can't can't hear the gospel if they don't see it demonstrated in the ways that I've said. It, it's not that these are in conflict. It doesn't have to be an either or. You're going to do something with your waste. So do the thing that acknowledges the gospel because that commends the gospel. It commends Christ to others. And secondly, I don't believe that we can ultimately fix this broken world. I believe that has to be when Christ returns in glory and he will restore all things. And I respect the fact that some theologians and some Christians say, well, we're joining in in the restoration of all things now and, and so on. Well, as far as I can see, that happens dramatically when Christ returns. But, but the point is, wherever we are on that... I think all of us can say God has called us to be stewards. And what is it that we believe about the new creation that God is bringing in? Well, what does it say in the, in the parable of the talents? What does the master say? Enter into my rest. You've been faithful with a little bit. Now come and be faithful with a lot. Do you get it? So, so even if we believe it's when Christ returns that this will all be fixed, Our part in the new creation in serving God relates to how we steward the things he entrusts to us now and the people he entrusts to us now, you see? So so this is an issue of the gospel. And what is our responsibility as faithful people who respond to what God has done? The, The Bible calls us to be good people. Just read the New Testament and see how many times it tells us that our responsibility is good works. It sounds really simple. Not good works to earn God's salvation, but good works as a response to the fact that Christ is Lord and that God has redeemed us and rescued us. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like loving God 
and loving others, doesn't it? So how do I love God in how I think about waste and how I act? And how do I love others? Well, loving God means loving his creation and loving the people that he loves. How do I love others? Well, I can take some actions to make a difference in this. I can make my voice heard, but I'm really thankful that people like Ruth and organizations like Tear Fund are helping us to do that because they've got the skills and the knowledge to do it. So let's support them in doing that. But also, I can take actions in the small things, can't I? Reducing my usage. And, and recycling, yes. But, but if I reduce to begin with, maybe I don't have to worry about the recycling. So it's reducing and reusing and recycling reusable cups like the one here or refillable water bottles and, uh, and, and shopping. I've started to try and shop for clothes that don't have plastic in them so that I'm not putting microfibers into them. Simple thing plastic like nylon and polyester and so on. But how do, we, how do we take action in the small things, but also in the big things? Because we are in a globalized world, and like it or not, my actions affect people in other parts of the world, and I can't just say that's not my problem. Loving my neighbor, as Jesus taught us, is not just the people that I see as my neighbor in front of me, but people in the parable of the Good Samaritan who I don't see as my neighbor, who are distant, and even if they're across the world. So yes, there may be big powers that seem bigger than me, big global companies like Ruth has named, governments, and I can say, well, it's their responsibility to sort it, but but they will listen if we act and we speak. So Ruth's going to help us know how we do that. But why would anyone believe that I believe the gospel if I don't care for the creation of God, if I don't recognize sin in this area and its impact on other people, if I don't recognize that Christ is Lord over this, if I don't repent of my sin in this, and if I don't do good works in relation to this as a response to the grace of God and Christ, Ruth. Thanks, Paul. So we're just going to take a moment and think about how we might respond to the problem that we've heard, to thinking about how we love God's creation, how we love God and how we love others. And as Paul mentioned, there's huge global issues, ones that feel really overwhelming. But we're going to do a bit of a top-down and a bit of a bottom-up approach So I feel like it wouldn't be fair on us to talk about all this and then leave you and say, go, go and do something. Um, So I want to give you two practical things to do. I mentioned before Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, Unilever and Nestle. Now you may feel like these are massive global companies that you have um, nothing to do with. In fact, you might be like, I don't drink Coke. Well, if you don't drink Coke, you may quite like Sprite. Or you may um, drink coffee and drink Costa coffee, which is also owned by Coke. You may, um, you may boycott Nestle from years ago from um, some of the th- stuff that they used to do, but you may quite like Haagen-Dazs ice cream um, or Perrier water, which are both owned by Nestle. Or PepsiCo, which is Pepsi. You might not drink Pepsi at all. 
Um, but this morning you could have had Quaker Oats on your for porridge, who are also owned by PepsiCo. And um, Unilever, some of you might have absolutely no idea, or it's just to do with soap, so Purcell or Dove. But also Unilever own Ben & Jerry's and Wall's ice cream. So if you're a fan of Magnums, then you use Unilever products. You guys are customers of many of these agents, organizations. And like Paul said, they actually do listen to their customers. So um, some people think, you know, there's no point in contacting big companies. They're not going to listen to us. Well, we started this campaign earlier in the year targeting these four country, companies. And because of people responding and taking action, three of those four companies have already approached us and asked for a meeting to have a conversation about this. But we need to put more and more pressure on them to get them to engage with us. And we're not hitting them with a big stick saying, you're really bad, you're awful. What we're doing is saying, you can be part of the solution and you can take responsibility for the items that you're producing. So on your seats, there's a card. I'd like you to lift it up now. It says this is a rubbish campaign card. Hopefully, has everyone got one? Yes, I think so. Um, so there's two steps in this campaign card. The first one is to add your voice to calling these multinational companies to take responsibility. And we're asking them to do four things. Really simple. First is to report the amount of plastic that they produce in these countries. Um, some of them don't quite have those figures yet, so we'd really like them to make it clear how much they do produce. Secondly, we want them to reduce that amount of plastic by half um, by 2025. And again, some people have already made these commitments, but not all of them have. And then we want them to recycle. So every item of single-use plastic that they produce in that country, we want them to recycle in that country one for one. So it's really easy that in the UK that they might recycle all their plastic products that they produce, but we want them to do it in the country that they're in um, so that that has a huge impact on those people who are living in poverty. And finally, we want, um, we're saying restore. We want them to provide dignified working um, employment for those who work in the waste-picking industry. So if you would like to add your voice to, that, um, to those actions, to ask those companies to do that, I'd love you to ask you to do that now. And you can do that by filling in the bit that says add your voice here. Now, just to give you a few th things, year of birth, many people groan when we ask for that. We're just checking you're over 18. So if you want to put 2001, go ahead. I'm really happy for you to um, make yourself slightly younger today. And email. So if you want to hear more about this campaign, you want to know how we get on, pop your email in there. And then if you um, want to hear about what Tearfund is doing in Northern Ireland, so things that we're doing about this campaign, and we run quite a lot of um, different events with um, fun things like bakers and amazing musicians, um, just tick the third box down, which says updates by email about Tearfund's activities and appeals. And then you'll get information. You'll actually get emails from me, and from Gemma, who sat down here, about things that are happening in Northern Ireland. So I'd love you to fill that in. The second thing, um, the second step is this little bit with a plastic bottle here on the back that says, My Plastic Pledge. So we can um, add our voice and engage with companies globally, but we also need to think about our own situation. We also need to recognise our 
sin in this. And I think the three things that Paul mentioned were really helpful. And they reminded me this morning, I was thinking about this. Um, and the theologian Dallas Willard was, uh, was advising um, a very senior church leader. And he was saying, you know, things are really hard. I've got so much stuff on. What should I do? And was expecting a really long amount of um, wisdom. And all he said was, ruthlessly eliminate hurry. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And I think some of the problems, some of the things that um, we do, which produce lots of items of plastic and lots of waste, is about our hurry. It's about our convenience culture. And it's about that idea of abundance. That, you know, there's, there's always going to be more and more cups that we can just get a new cup. But actually, if we stopped, we spent maybe a bit more time in the Lord's presence and tried to eliminate hurry from our lives, we might be able to be a bit more purposeful. So um, fasting is a very biblical thing to do. Um, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. And so we want to ask you to, to do a plastic pledge. So to fast one item of plastic for 40 days. Um, and so what our team have just done this. I have just done 40 days without plastic wrapped fruit and veg, which I have to be honest and admit I wasn't great at because salad comes in plastic and cucumbers all come in plastic, which is crazy because they're also the same shape as courgette and courgette doesn't come wrapped in plastic. It's absolutely mental. Anyway, it's not easy, but it makes you really begin to think step by step about what items of single-use plastic you are consuming. So I'd like you to ask yourself, what could I fast for 40 days? Let me give you some ideas. You could give up plastic water bottles. Especially if you're here for the rest of the week, get yourself a reusable bottle from home. Go and buy one. They have refillable taps of tap water that you can drink outside. So go and fill up your water bottle. You don't need to buy yourself a plastic water bottle. Or a reusable cup. If you're one of those people who needs to get their caffeine fix just before the seminars after the morning session, then do um, think about using a reusable cup because the amount of disposable cups that you will save will be astronomical. Unless you're not a big fan of coffee or hot drinks. And so then maybe I would suggest, maybe you do a quick swap, swap at home. I don't know if you have a hand wash pump. It wasn't until about earlier this year that my son discovered what soap was and to wash his hands with soap, because everywhere he goes is a hand wash pump in a public toilet. Maybe you could use soap instead of a bottle of hand wash, or maybe you could use soap instead of a shower gel. If you use shampoo, you could try using a solid shampoo bar. They sell them at loads of places now, like Lush. Um, they sell them in Boots sometimes. They sell them in Holland and Barrett, loads of health food stores. Just get a solid shampoo bar, and it'll save a bottle of um, shampoo. Or if you have young children, maybe you could think about wet wipes. Because, I mean, there's, especially if you're, they're no longer in extreme nappy situation and maybe you just use them to wipe people's faces, then what's wrong with a flannel? Maybe just think about trying to cut one thing. So I'd love you to tick this box to say that you're going to do a 14th day fast and to write in that white space what you're going to do. And then what we're going to do is, we, I have a bin. Nice. 
We have a lovely big white bin. We would love you to fill in those cards and come to the front at the end of the seminar and put them in our bin and we will send them off to you, for you so that they um, go to those companies. And take a note um, in your head about what item you're going to fast from. I know some of you might also be thinking, well, this is all very good and well. I do. I can do X, Y, and Z, and I can contact these companies, but what about my church? My church uses reuse, uh, disposable cups um, or the amount of waste that they produce. And so if you want to think about and engage your church or some of your friends, um, there's a little box on this card that you can tick for 25 more cards, so you can send them out to other people. But also come and chat to us at the stand and we can talk about a few more resources and ideas that we have to help churches as a whole engage with this issue. So we have uh, children's activities, we have talks and we have event guides for you to do stuff to help people begin to think through this issue. So our time is nearly up. So we're going to do a brief Q&A. I'm not quite sure how we're going to do it with the headphones. It has got an idea. Ruth, thank you so much. Uh, hopefully we have all been challenged and informed and inspired. Uh, guys, if you do have questions, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take one earphone off here. I'm going to listen carefully. I'm going to repeat the question for the recording, and then I'm going to direct it towards Paul or Ruth. So any questions that you have, any comments, Anything that you would like to add into the discussion here this morning? Uh, anyone? Well, I've just come... Oh, yeah, over here. Brilliant. Thank you. Okay. So that's the challenge, the economic challenge. Uh, sometimes we have a desire to uh, go for items that are not wrapped in plastic, but very often they're at a premium price. And for the reality of many people, they are on a limited wage what are some of the practicalities that maybe can help us to negotiate that challenge? So there are some shop, uh, swaps that you could do that are actually cheaper, like moving to soap um, is so much cheaper than shower gel. Um, and so there are some savings that you can make, but it's really right to point out that often supermarkets, for example, loose vegetables are more expensive than things wrapped in plastic. And I would encourage you to engage with your supermarket or shop and say to them, so this is something that's on the agenda of supermarkets because it's such an issue that's in the media. Um, they are beginning to think about this. So it is worth just having a chat with customer service and saying, I want to buy pack, like loose veg, but peppers are almost double the price than a packet of three. And this is ridiculous. Um, there are some, so Lidl, for example, have made pledges to uh, dramatically reduce their plastic and make sure it's all recyclable. Um, and so you may see in Lidl soon that things are become a bit cheaper. Um, but again, local markets are somewhere that, you, but it is all about, you probably have to have more time um, and make time for it. So there are some things that you can also don't go out and buy loads of amazing plastic free products. If you have a plastic reusable water bottle, just use that. You don't need to go and get a fancy one. Um, and I think sometimes everybody, because actually there's almost like a, um, a new space where people are making plastic-free th things. It's like a consumer. Um, go and buy loads of plastic-free things. Isn't it wonderful? It becomes like a lifestyle thing. Um, I actually think just like some simple stuff is just as good as um, 
as as buying something brand new. So getting a sports bottle or something, um, again, cheaper than buying plastic bottles, but you might not do that anyway. Thanks, Ruth. Any other questions? Okay. Okay, so that is a comment, really. Uh, there's, there's a challenge and maybe a prerogative for ourselves to be much more simple in the way that we live. Uh, and that could extend to our clothing choices, to our life, our, the way we furnish our houses. So is that something, Ruth, that... Oh, here's Paul going to take that one. Okay, thank you. Yes, I, I, I think you're right. I, I would agree with you. I mean, I did say I don't think we should be anti... Uh, progress and technology. I don't think we need to be minimalistic in the sense of saying everything uh, that is in the modern world is bad, but we need to recognize there is a lot of bad within it and that we can take action on that. And I think a simple lifestyle is good and healthy in all sorts of ways. I think we've heard that from the main stage as well. Was it Gilbert, I think, said something in one of the sessions about slowing down as well. So Ruth's advice on that, it may well help with this issue but it will probably help with a lot of other issues as well, relationally, in the family, even evangelistically. Think of the potential if you shop local um, and shop small of building relationships there and sharing those relationships. So it's simplicity not for the sake of simplicity, but simplicity because that often is healthier. And I think we get caught up in a kind of rat race and a set of values where we do feel overwhelmed um, and even therefore for our own mental health if I can say that and well-being there's a lot to be said for simplicity and this is just one of the dimensions of it but absolutely if we buy less so I think those that triad of reduce reuse recycle reduce comes first for a reason and you're right if we reduce that that goes a long way thank you Paul yes okay so that's a question in response to uh this is one event, uh, one seminar dealing with this issue specifically. Whenever maybe there is so much that we should and could be grappling with that has uh, a link to climate crisis, to have so much which is in the in public mindset and media focus. Anything in response to that? Yes, absolutely. So... Um I have been campaigning on climate change since 2006 when I read a report that realised it, it was about people and not just about kind of hot weather. Um, and it has got to the point where now you would describe it as a climate crisis. It is a, such a critical issue for our time. And I think it is an issue for the church to be speaking out against for all the reasons that Paul just outlined, that we should care for uh, God's creation, that we should be a, a witness as Christians of, of saying that we care about these things and so therefore we're doing something about it because if we don't talk about creation and if we don't acknowledge our sin, then how can we witness to people? And so it is such a wider issue. Rubbish and plastic, the amount of plastic that's produced has a huge impact on the climate because it is producing it from fossil fuels and because it is all the kind of energy that's involved in producing it. So it is part of our climate work. Um, Tear Fund as a whole is doing loads of stuff on climate. So if you want to talk about that more and how you can get involved, really happy. Um, and yeah, I would love the church to talk more about climate, but I think there is definitely a journey that we need to go on to encourage people to be able to understand that. 
Just add to that as well, um, very simply. I know that sometimes folks are a little bit sceptical about the climate change message and agenda. Maybe that's more so in America. A lot of Christians there question it. But to be honest, I think whether we are confident that there is a change or whether we think there might not be, it seems silly to me to say, well, there might not be, therefore we'll just carry on. That's, you wouldn't do that in any other area of your life, firstly. But secondly, whether there's, we are making a change in the climate or not is not the point. There are things that we can do here and now, and the same things work on both of those to, to help stop climate change and to help improve the lives of others. So it's the same lifestyle changes. So I don't think you need to be sold out on that. Although I, I'm not denying it, by the way, I'm not a climate change denier, but that's not the point. We do it for an even greater reason of stewardship before God and of the good of other people. And there's no doubt that our behaviours are affecting the lives of other people, whether they're changing climate in the long chain t- term or not. Guys, I, I think maybe our time is up. So there are opportunities maybe to chat to Ruth and to Paul at the end. Uh, can I just commend you guys? This is uh, I've just come back from two weeks in India, and I don't think I have ever experienced a part of the world where there's such environmental exhaustion and so much evidence of our lifestyle impacting the lives of the poorest of the poor people there. And it is something which is massively a justice issue. So guys, thank you for commending this to us, for opening up the whole conversation, for giving us not just practical input, but also a theological way of of taking this and sharing this with our home congregations, with our families, with our churches. Uh, so go forth and tell the Good News team, uh, may this be something that we grab and shape and become passionate uh, uh, apostles for in terms of taking it confidently a message to the to the communities that we're part of so guys thank you and the lord bless you uh, just give a round of applause and can i just say thank you to the technical team as well it's a big undertaking uh, it has reduce the noise pollution for the other seminars around us. Uh, So guys, that is a really big input and a big ministry. And thank you for all the input and your your very careful uh, monitoring of everyone's hearing of the whole of the topic today as well. Guys, could I ask you to assist in delegating somebody to bring all of your earphones back up again if you know how to turn them off easily turn them off that would be great uh, but uh, yeah I could ask you to bring those up again and be active in your response cards for tier fund as well Ruth is here with her rubbish box collecting all of your uh, advocacy for this issue so thank you and the Lord bless you and enjoy the rest of your day at New Horizon thank you